Well, we're in a, a series here at Big Valley Grace called Shining Like the Stars, and we're going through the book of Philippians together. And our theme verse has been Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, where Paul said this. Paul said, I want you to live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Here, um, the Holy Spirit fills Paul's life and Paul pins these words. So really, it's God who's talking here. God says, hey, those of you that name the name of Christ, those of you that are followers of mine, I, I want you to live clean, innocent lives. I want you to shine like bright lights in, in a world that's just full of crooked and perverse people. Beloved, the world's a dark place. And we as followers of Jesus are, are called to live in such a way that, that, that somehow we shine brightly in this dark place. Paul basically said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, for once you, and that's Christians, were full of darkness. But now you, Christians, have light from the Lord. Live as people of the light. Beloved, all throughout Scripture, we are told as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we're to live differently, that we're to shine somehow for, for God. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said concerning the Messiah or the Savior that was to come. He said this. He said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And so here's the, the, the prophet saying there's coming a day when those that are in darkness are going to see a great light. There's coming a day when, when, when somehow in the darkness this light's going to show up. And 2,000 years ago, the light came. Jesus said this about himself in John chapter 8. He said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. Beloved, the, the Bible, in the Bible, darkness is a, a symbol of evil or, or sin or, or ignorance. And all of us at one time or another walked in darkness. All of us lived in our sin. We, we walked in ignorance. But there came a moment when we saw the light. For me, it was 30 years ago. I was in darkness. I was in bondage to my sin, living in ignorance, doing just some really, you know, crummy things. And I saw the light. Jesus was the light, not merely a light or another light amongst many lights. He was the one true light. And when you give your life over to him, he comes into the darkness of your life, the, the sin of your life, and he gives you his light which is why Paul encourages us in Philippians chapter 2 to shine brightly for him. Man, some of you, you know, went to school with me here. We were classmates down at Grace M. Davis High School. We, we got loaded together. I see you here every weekend. 30 years ago, man, what we were doing with our life was way different. Unbelievable what I used to put into this body. There were times when literally I would wake up in my bed, wonder how I got in there, and I would stagger out to my car, and I would walk around it wondering, oh man, is there any dents in it? How'd I, how'd I get home? How'd I get in bed? I, I couldn't remember. And here I was driving a, a you know, a, 2,000-pound automobile around town late at night, just inebriated, you know, out of my mind. But I saw the light. I saw that great light. I gave my life to that great light. And God began to do a, a work in my life, as he has in most of your lives. And that's why throughout the scriptures, Paul in our theme verse says, look, don't live like you used to live. Live clean, innocent lives. I want you to shine brightly in a world that's just dark and, 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 and crummy. 
Now, today we're going to deal with one of the things that will snuff out your light quicker than just about anything else, and that's stress, anxiety, you know, worry. And the timing of this message is perfect because we're heading into one of the seasons that tends to cause a lot of stress in our lives, huh? The holiday season? You stress about, you know, where you're going to go for Thanksgiving, where are you going to go for, you know, Christmas Eve? You know, where are you going to go Christmas Day? Because some of you, like me, you know, come from a divorced home. Your mom and dad divorced, and then they both remarried, and then you married a spouse whose parents are divorced, and they've all remarried. And so you got all these four families that you've got to go to. And so, you know, Thanksgiving, you go here, and you pack up the kids, and you go there, and then you pack up the kids, and you go to all these different homes, and then you go home and, you know, jab a pencil in your gut and pop! You know, because you're just so bloated. It's unbelievable. And boy, wasn't that just a great time. It's stressful, I know. Just me mentioning it, you're going, oh, man, why'd you even mention it, Pastor? No, I'm stressed out. I was, I was doing pretty good there for a minute. <laughs> you get stressed about, you know, getting your house all cleaned for the people that are going to come over, Right? I remember when I was a kid, my, my mom would, would have Thanksgiving at, at her house, at our house, and so people would come over, and she'd, you know, vacuum the rug, and this is back in the day when most of you aren't going to get this. In fact, you're just going to go, what is he talking about? My, uh, back then, the carpets came with, ru- with uh, rakes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. And she'd vacuum it, and then she'd rake it, so it would be perfect. And then she'd look at me, you know, an eight-year-old, and say, okay, now, now Ricky, don't, don't walk on the carpet. Well, you know, Thanksgiving ain't for two more days. What do I do? I, you know, I got to go to the bathroom. And so I jump on the couch and then jump onto a chair, grab the chandelier, you know, and I, oh, and my mom would go, what are you doing on the chandelier? Well, you said I couldn't walk on the carpet. You know what? I got to go to the bathroom. I to get the toilet. Unbelievable. And you may not rake the carpet now, but isn't it weird how we just stress out getting our homes ready to have a relaxing day? It just doesn't happen, does it? You stress about all the presents that you have to buy? I was out at the mall yesterday with my son. Yesterday. And we're walking, and we got right to the middle of the mall, and boom! There was Santa Claus. And I'm thinking, am I in the twilight zone? Did I, did I miss a holiday? You know, really? And my son goes, Dad, what's Santa Claus doing here? I said, you know what, I don't know. I, I haven't even had Thanksgiving yet. You know, it's unbelievable. And in all the stores, they had all the Christmas music going, which automatically made me go, oh, man, you know, I got I to gotta get a gift. Who am I supposed to buy for? And now I'm all stressed out. You stress about all the cards you have to send out. And when you finally get them all out, okay, whew, then somebody sends you a card that you didn't send a card to. Oh, oh no. And you whip out the extra one, fill it out, and send it off. You know, eh, hey, really, you know. Don't we do that? We're all stressed out because we don't get all the right cards out to the right people at the right time. You stress about all the, the decorations, you know. You go through a whole remodeling process this time of year, don't you? Got to move chairs out of the way to get the tree up and put the lights on and the thing and all the unbelievable what we go through. And then come about January 10th, you get this thing in the mail and you open it up and it's the bill. That stretches, stresses you out. For some of you, you're single. And just me talking about the holidays stresses you out because you don't have anywhere to go. You're wondering what you're going to do on Thanksgiving. You hear about all these people talking about families and where they're going to go and what they're going to do, and you don't have any place to go. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, you, you don't have any family. They don't live here. Maybe they've all passed away or whatever, and it's just... It's just stressful. This time of year can be stressful, which means the light within you can easily be, you know, snuffed out. But the good news is is that God has left us a, a plan on how to deal with all the stress or anxiety of life. And in our text today, Paul's going to share a, a few of these thoughts. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, I want to read it for us, okay? If you don't have a Bible, like I said, those verses are in here. They'll be up on the jumbotrons or, or whatever. I want you to see the Word of God for yourself. 
God says this to us. He says, always be joyful in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considered in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Now I want you to look again at what Paul says in verse six, okay? Paul says, don't worry about anything. And really it's not Paul. If you're visiting with us today, we're a church. I'm a pastor who believes that this is God's inerrant word. I don't think there's any mistakes in it. I think this was actually written by God. God's spirit filled the lives of these these people and had them pin what God wanted us to know. There's no mistakes in this book, not one. And so really, this is God's word for us today. God says, I don't want you to worry about anything. Really? God is saying to his people right here in this passage, I don't want you to worry about anything. This might be the hardest command that God has ever given us to obey, huh? This idea that we're not to worry. Let let me give you three reasons why it's just crazy to, to worry. Okay, number one, it's just unhelpful. It's unhelpful because it never accomplishes anything. It's like having your car in neutral, you know, and you're sitting there and it's in neutral and you're just stepping on the gas, man. A lot of noise, woo! A lot of smoke, but you're not going anywhere. That, 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 that's worry. It's just unhelpful. It never solves anything. All it does is make you miserable. That's why God says, children, I don't want you to worry about anything. Number two, it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable because all it does is exaggerate whatever the problem is. Worry tends to make a mountain out of a, out of, out of a molehill. You know, you got this, this thing, and the more you think about it, and the more you worry about it, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it's like, whoa, unbelievable. That's why God says, don't worry about anything. Number three, it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy because originally your body was never made to worry. When God created Adam and Eve, he didn't create them to handle worry. Why? Because there wasn't anything for them to worry about. You were never made to worry about things. But when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden... When they disobeyed God in the garden and messed up a lot of things, one of which was we learned how to worry, something that God never intended for us to deal with. That's why when you worry, you get ulcers. You know, you get headaches, you get backaches, you get insomnia. And the reason why there's a literal physical reaction to worry is because you were never made to worry. God didn't want you to worry. In an original state, there wasn't anything to worry about. It's only when we sinned that this idea of worry started to, you know, creep in. God says, I don't want you to worry about anything. Now, here's the good news, because we all had to learn how to worry. For some of us, you know, we're experts at it. That means it can be unlearned. God wouldn't tell us to you know, not do something if we weren't able to pull it off, but it's going to take some effort. It won't be easy. But because we all learned how to worry, we can all unlearn how to worry. And when you unlearn how to worry, it'll reduce your stress level, which in turn will help keep your light burning brightly for for the Lord. 
So what's the antidote for worry? Okay, pastor, I, I get it. God's word says don't worry. What's the plan? What does God have to say? Well, I'm going to give you four steps, and they're pretty simple, okay? And they're all taken from Scripture. This first step is not found in our text, but I have to start here. The first step is this, is that you've got to really believe that God will take care of you. You've got to really believe that God's going to take care of you. If you don't really believe that God can take care of you, listen, man, you might as well buy stock and Tums, Buy stock and Rolaids, man. Because you're going to worry. And there's a lot of Christians, a lot of people who have given their life to Jesus Christ, and yet, you know, they really don't believe that God can take care of them. They don't believe it. King David penned these words. These are some of the most beautiful words in all of literary history. Psalms 23. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I'm not going to be in want. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord was his shepherd, he knew he'd never be in want. He knew that God would take care of him. He knew that there wasn't anybody or anything that could harm him. He really believed that God would take care of him. But how did David know this? How did David know that God would take care of all of his needs? How could David be so sure that God would take care of him? Well, before David became the king of Israel, and that's how most of us know David, he was the great warrior king of Israel. His first job, I want you to think back to your very first job you ever had. See, before David was the king, his very first job was he was a shepherd. He worked for his father. So he'd have a, a staff in this hand, you know, a big long stick, and he'd have a rod in this hand, and, you know, he had a bunch of sheep and, and some goats, and, and he was the shepherd of these sheep and goats. And because he knew what shepherds did, he knew what their job description was, he knew, man, God will take care of me. And, and what, what is a shepherd's job description? What did David do as a shepherd? Well, number one, shepherds provide. They provide food, shelter, the basic necessities for the sheep. So it was David's responsibility, you know, he'd have all these sheep and he'd find a little meadow to go in, you know, and, and then the sheep could all start eating and the goats could all start eating and, and then he'd take them over to a little brook, you know, so they could all get a drink of water, you know, and that was his job to make sure that, that they were taken care of, that, 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 that they were provided for. At nighttime, when it, you know, got night, he'd, you know, the shepherd would get them all into a, a, a pen, you know, and he'd put them all in a pen, and, and it, that, was, that was the shepherd's job. Number two, the shepherds protected. They defended the sheep against enemies like lions or bears or foxes or whatever, so David would be out, you know, and he'd have all of his sheep and goats, and they'd all be eating, you know, taking it easy, maybe relaxing, some were drinking a little water there. And he'd be looking around in, in the little foothills, and he'd be looking for lions, and he'd be looking for bears, and maybe he'd see a fox, and man, he'd pick up a rock and throw it at that fox. That's right, man, you stay away from my sheep, you know. <laughs> uh, that's what a shepherd did. He made sure that the, the sheep had food and water and shelter, and he, and he protected them. But the shepherd also would guide. The shepherd's guide, they, they, they lead the sheep where when, when they're confused and they don't know which way to go. So here are all these sheep, these goats, they don't know what to do, they don't know where to go. And so it was the shepherd's job to make sure that they would all go in the right direction, that they were at all head back home or head to the right field or wherever it is they were supposed to go. And number four, shepherds corrected. They corrected any problems that might come along. These are some of the things that David did as, as a shepherd. And here's the amazing thing. God has promised to do these things in your life. If you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, if there came a moment when you recognized that you were in darkness, that you were in sin, that you were in ignorance, 
When you recognize that you were in bondage to sin, whatever that sin was, and you invited the great light into your life, you invited Christ into your life, God has promised to do these same things for you. God says, I'll provide for you, I'll protect you, I'll guide you, I'll correct the problems in your life. All you have to do is let me be your shepherd. But what happens a lot of times is we invite Christ into our lives and we say, hey, listen, you know, I don't, I don't need you to be my shepherd. I'll be my own shepherd. I'll do it my own way. And Jesus says, okay, go. You want to provide for yourself? You want to protect yourself? You want to guide you? Go. And that's always a disaster. Always a disaster. Now, God gets even a little more specific a little later on in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4, he says this in verse 19. He says, and my God will meet all your needs. He'll meet all your needs. Remember, the Holy Spirit filled Paul, and God says to us, I'll meet all your needs. Not, not, not all your greeds, okay? Not, not, not all the things you want, but he said, I'll supply all your needs. I'll take care of it. God says, I will. He doesn't say, I might. You know, I'll think about it. He says, I will. That means that God's character's on the line. God said, here's what I'm gonna do. He's either gonna do it or he's a liar. I didn't write this. I just happen to believe that it is God's inerrant word. God was the one who wrote it. And God says, I'll meet all your needs. So it's his character that's on the line. Like I said, there's a big difference between the things that we want and the things that we need. And here's the deal. Whether you're over in the venue or in here, I'm going to guess probably 99.86% of you. God has met all of your needs and he's gone over and above the call of duty and met even wants that you've had. And you know how I know that? Because there's a great percentage of you that have storage units. You have so much stuff that God gave you, you couldn't even put it in your own house. You had to go store it somewhere else where nobody sees it. Just rats eat it. God took care of your needs, and he's taking care of most of your wants. Let me ask you, if God promises to provide all of your needs, if he promises to protect you, if he promises to guide you, if he promises to correct the problems in your life, what else do you got to worry about? What? Think about this. When you get an insurance policy, you know, once you, once you know you're, you're covered for something, do, do you worry about it anymore? For instance, I, I have a car insurance policy. If somebody runs into my car, I'm covered. Even if they don't have any insurance, I'm covered. If I hit somebody, I'm covered. Once I sign the policy and send the check off and I know I'm covered, I don't worry about it anymore. I don't sit around and worry about my car. Oh no, what if somebody hits it? What if they don't have insurance? Oh, I don't do it. I'm covered. Christian? You're covered. You're covered. God says, I'll take care of you if you let me. I'll do it. The issue is, is whether you really believe that God will. Whether you really, really believe that God does want to take care of you. Listen, worry's not only unhelpful and unreasonable and unhealthy, but it's also unnecessary if Jesus Christ is your shepherd, if you've really humbled yourself. 
and you live in this moment of humility before the Lord, and you say, that's my shepherd. He takes care of me. Step number two, and by the way, step number two doesn't mean anything if you don't really believe, but step number two is this, and this gets us back into our text, okay? You've got to talk with God. You've got to pray about everything that's happened in your life. God said, don't worry about anything. Instead, God says, instead of worrying, instead of burning a bunch of juice on worrying, I want you to burn the juice. I want you to use your energy to pray. That's what you do. Talk to me. When you begin to worry about something, when you begin to get that cruddy feeling down in your heart over something, God says, pray. God says, man, spend some time with me and let's talk about it. And look, I know, and I've done this for almost 30 years here. Most of you walked in here and there's just stuff you're worried about. For some of you, you own a business, and this next week, you're wondering, man, if you don't make a sale or six, you're wondering, can, can, can you make the payroll? You're worried. Some of you are worried about your homes, and, and man, you don't know whether you're going to be able to make that, that payment, and is this the one where they come and foreclose on you, right? For some of you, you know what, uh, Monday, you're going to be downtown at the courthouse, your attorney, and you're going to try a case. And you're worried, do, do, do I have all the, the, the right things? Do I have what I'm going to say? Is it all together? Some of you are, are worried about your, your teenage son or your teenage daughter. They've kind of gone sideways. Some of you are worried about your parents. You're a teenager and you're worried about your parents. You're, you're hearing them talk about divorce. You're hearing them fight and you're worried about them. Some of you went to the doctor last week and you know, they found a lump where there's not supposed to be one and you're worried about it and you're, you're going to have a test and it's coming up and maybe you got, you've already had the test and you haven't heard back from the doctor yet and you're wondering, well, what's going on? There's lots in this life to worry about. And God says this, don't burn any juice worrying. You really believe that I care about you. You believe that. And then you come and talk to me about it. Spend your time talking to me. Tell me what's going on. Tell me about how you feel. Give it over to me and then zip it up, throw away the key, and then let me talk to you a little bit. Let me, let, let, let me through my spirit talk to you. And I'm not talking about, you know, one minute little prayer, you know. Hmm. And then you're off doing whatever it is you do. I'm talking about where you set aside some time. You create some space in your life, in your, in, in, in your daily schedule, and say, I'm going to go spend an hour with the Lord. I'm going to you know, get away from it all, go park, walk a canal bank, and just be alone with the Lord. Leave your cell phone in the car and just say, God, here I am. You say not to worry, and I'm worried. And so here I am. I believe you can do it. And you told me to talk to you, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you. And here I am, and I'm worried about my teenager. I'm worried about my wife. I'm worried about my husband. I'm worried about my grandkids. I'm worried about my grandpa. I'm worried about my wife's health. I'm worried about whatever it is, and talk with the Lord about it. But I, I, I mentioned you got to put the cell phone away because here's what happens. As great a tool as that is, man, the enemy just uses it in some incredible ways. I have been in prayer with people. We're praying. We're, we're, we're talking with God, and their phone has gone off. And, and, and I get that. It's the fact that they sneak out of the room, and I'm thinking to myself, whoa, who's on that caller ID? Somebody way more important than God because they just stopped talking to God. Whoa, man, I don't know who that is, but that's a powerful soul on the other end of that phone. You know, if I'm having a conversation with my wife and one of you come up and you interrupt me, butt in, 
I'm not going to be very happy. Don't, don't butt into a conversation I'm having with my wife. Just hang off. I'll get to you. But I'm having a conversation with my wife. And hopefully you, you would be the same way with your spouse. I mean, for crying out loud, it's your spouse, right? But isn't it weird how easily we can have a conversation with God and we'll let somebody butt in? Here we are having this incredible moment with God and then the phone rings and we just, it's like we just, I wonder what that makes God feel like. Isn't that weird? Um, some of our pastors are in this room or you can ask them. We get together all the time around here and we pray. And we'll get in groups and spend time praying for different things, different needs. And oftentimes I'll be in a room and I'll get you know, two or three people, and I'll just say, get in groups of two or three, and I want you just to take a couple of minutes and let's pray for whatever it is. And I'll have my group, and we'll pray. But I may, we may get done first, and then another group gets done. But even though I'm done, I never, I never, you can ask the staff, I, I never say, oh, okay, guys, can we just uh, close it up now? Can we call, come back together? Never. You know why? They're talking with God. I, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to cut their moth. How rude. Maybe even dangerous. <laughs> Think about it. I, I just, I just, so I let them go, and it'll just be quiet, and then when the, finally the last group is done, I'll say, okay, why don't we hear it, and we'll move on to the next thing. See, it's a, I, I actually believe when I'm talking with God, and maybe this is the deal, I actually believe I'm talking with God. And when you're praying, I, I actually believe you're talking to God. So why would I cut you off? Why would I do that? And God says, look, I don't want you to worry about anything. You can, you can blow a lot of calories on, on worrying. I don't want you to do that. This is what I'd like for you to do. I want you to really believe that I care about your life. And when something comes into your life that's got you spun out, stressed out, got you worried, instead of worrying, spend some time with me. Talk with me about whatever it is that's going on in your life. Don't go to your spouse first. Don't go to your parents first. Don't go to your pastor first. Don't go to your therapist first. Don't go to your friends first. God says, come to me first. Here's the bottom line. Worry doesn't change anything, but prayer does. Why? Why is prayer, why is talking with God such a powerful thing? Beloved, the reason prayer changes things is because prayer gets you in touch with the one who can change things, God. Prayer in and of itself has no power. It's who you're talking with who has the power. You can come talk to me. I don't have much power. You can talk to your spouse, and that's a good thing. I don't think it's an evil thing, but you know what? Bottom line is they don't have much power. You can talk with your friends, and that, that, nothing wrong with that. But the bottom line is they, they don't have much power. But when you talk with God, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. That's why you want to spend time with him. Hey, nothing wrong with talking to your pastor, your therapist, or a friend, or your spouse. But God says, come to him first. Talk to me first. Let me have first shot at whatever's going on in, in your life. I want you to underline that word, everything, in your notes here. Just, it says everything. God doesn't want you just to pray about religious things. He wants you to pray about everything. He wants you to talk to him about what you ought to do on your day off. Really? Well, that word everything in the Greek, you know what it means? Everything. <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit fills Paul up and says, Paul, I want you to make sure you, you use this word, everything. 
I want you to talk to me. God says about, I don't know, where are you going to spend your next vacation? You ever done that? Hey, God, you know what? I just want to, where should we go on our next vacation? What should we do? Men, you, you got to talk with God about where you should take your wife next week on, on a date. Assuming you're still dating your wife. You got to talk to God, those of you that own businesses, about your business. I know you roll running to God when things are bad. That's what we all do. <laughs> How about running to God just every day when things are good and saying, God, it's your business. Thank you for it. Is there something I'm missing, God? Is there some new thing I need to do? Is there a way for me to earn a little bit more money that I might put somebody else to work, another brother or sister to work? For those of you that have a job, do you ever spend time praying for the guy that owns the business you work for? You know, they, they are supplying you a job. That'd probably be a good thing to pray for, that God might bless their business, that God might bring in more revenue, that A, your job would stay secure, and that maybe they have a chance to hire other people, be a blessing to more people. You see, God says, I want you to talk to me about everything. Most people, at least in my opinion, they pray prayers that they think God wants to hear. Um, God, I'll be a missionary in Zimbabwe, if that's what you want. And God's going, really? Give me a break. Why don't you talk to me about the things that are happening in your life, in your family, with your kids, with your parents, at school, in your job, in your business? You see, somehow we've bought a lie from the enemy that, that God only cares about, you know, uh, you know what, what's happening in, in Iran. I mean, that's, whoo, Afghanistan, man, with Libya, that mess. Oh, man, what about Iraq? There's lots of stuff God's got to work on. I mean, you know, what about the president of the United States? Doesn't God have to, you know, spend time listening? Yeah. But the Bible says that God doesn't play favorites. There's no favoritism with God. When he hung on that cross, he hung on that cross for you. You're every bit as important as anybody else on the planet. God's quite capable of taking care of all of the international intrigue that's going on, you know, and he can care about you and what's happening in your life right now. And somehow, even though there's 7 billion people on the planet, when you stop and you spend time talking to him, whoo, he's laser beamed in on you. That's all he cares about. Look, I got five people in my family. I got three kids and my wife. And sometimes they'll all start going at one time at me. And it's like, I just, I, I, I check out. I can't hear a thing. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Someone poked my eye out. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I can't track five conversations. Can't do it. God can. Because God's not like you. The Bible says his thoughts aren't your thoughts and his ways aren't your ways, declare the Lord. He is quite capable of tracking you when you stop and you pray. He's locked on to you. You're the most important thing that's happening right now. He hung on a cross for you. He cares deeply about your life. One version says, when you pray, tell God every detail of your needs. Every detail. If it's big enough to worry about, right, it's big enough to pray about. Peter said this in, in 1 Peter. He said, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares about you. The word cast means to unload or let it go. Prayer is an incredible stress reliever. God says, cast it all on me. Dump it all on me. Unload it all on me. The problem with most people is, is that they, you know, do the casting of their problems and worries like they, you know, fish. We cast our cares on God. And then we, we roll them back in, don't we? 
And guess what? God's okay with that as long as you cast them back out. And sometimes you've got to do that multiple times, don't you, throughout the day. Sometimes multiple times, you know, within about a two-minute span. Here you go, God, it's all yours. Oh, God, I got it again. Oh, God. And God's okay with that. He just says, keep giving them to me. But then there comes a moment when you're able to go, and now you can't reel it back in. It's just yours. It's just yours. I'm leaving it with you. Number three, you got to really believe. God says, don't worry, come to me in prayer. And then he says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. God says, tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Step three is you got to be thankful for all that God has done for you. You got to really believe when you're worried. Man, I really believe, God, I believe that you care about me. I believe you created me in my mother's womb. I'm unique. I, I believe it, God. And God, I've, I've spent some time talking with you uh, about this thing that's got me all goofed up. But now, God says, the next step is you got to be thankful. Spend some time thanking the, the, the Lord about all that he's done. Often, I'll sit down and quiet my soul and remember all the blessings in my life. And the reason why I do this is because somehow when I sit down and just remember all the great things that God has done for me, the stress level just goes away. This past Tuesday night, sitting in my backyard, and here, here's a sample of a list that I came up with. Just spend some time thanking God for the fact that he created me. When I was in my mother's womb, the Bible says he put me together just the way I am. Wanted me to be this tall. Wanted me to have the color eyes that I have. Gave me the personality that I have. And when I was done, God went, yes! That's a masterpiece. That's a Picasso. There's nobody else like him. In fact, watch this. Nobody will have his thumbprint. Nobody. God made me. God made you. You. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. <laughs> for me. I know what kind of crummy sinner I was. I'm very acquainted with my sin. And yet God said, I love you. In fact, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to die for you. God put his Holy Spirit within me. God made it possible for him and I to have a relationship together. The Bible says that I am an heir of God. The Bible says that, that Jesus, when he left here 2,000 years ago, he went to heaven to prepare a place for me. There's going to come a moment when I take my last breath here on planet Earth and my next breath will be in glory with Jesus in a, in a place that was prepared for me, some sort of house, some sort of mansion, some sort of something. I don't know, really know what it is, but he's, he's gone to prepare a place for me. Unbelievable. God gave me my wife, Erin. He gave me my kids, Megan and and Gracie and Cade, God gave me friends. God provided a roof over my head. He provided food for my table. God provided clothes for my body. The list goes on and on and on. And let me tell you something. When you sit down, you know, toss the cell phone and just go, God, start to recall to my mind all the great things that you've done for me. And you begin to write those things out. Oh, wow. It does something to you. God says, don't worry about anything. Instead, burn that juice talking to me and spend some time being thankful for all that I've done for you. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And last but not least, step number four. You've got to set your mind on the right things. And all of these are important. Verse 8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Hey, hey, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Pray, give thanks, but I got one more thought. One more thing. 
Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy and pray, uh, praise. Your mind, beloved, is a, is a special gift from God. Your, your mind is capable of storing trillions of thoughts. It can handle enormous things. And here's the cool thing. You've been given the right to put anything you want into it. And what you put into this is going to determine a whole lot about your life. Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable. Fix your thoughts on what is right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent, things that are worthy of praise. Now, now, do you think that if you fix your thoughts on these types of things, it would make a difference in your stress level? Yeah. <laughs> do you see how practical God's word is? The God who created us, who knows that we get stressed out and worried and anxious about things, says this, don't worry. Instead, do this. Pray. Be thankful and set your mind on good things, holy things. Beloved, what you choose to put, your, you know, put into your mind matters. It affects your life. You see, what you set your mind on affects the way you feel, and the way you feel affects the way you act. The reason why you're acting the way you're acting is because of this, what you've put in here. You got to look at these eight words, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, etc. You got to see those eight words as eight filters. If the thoughts you know, that come into your brain aren't right or true or pure or lovely or whatever, don't think about them. Unbelievable some of the wretched, horrible things you see on, here on, on, on television. I mean, it's unbelievable some of the wretched stuff that we listen to in terms of music that people call music today. Just wretched, wretched. And by the way, it goes back generations, you know, Frank Sinatra singing, you know, I did it my way. That's, that's sinful, man. That's wretched. You don't do things your way. You do things God's way. I don't care what generation it is. There has been wretched, wretched music out there that we fill our minds with. And then we wonder, man, gee, you know, how come I'm not experiencing the peace of God? You know, I mean, think about it. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So what's the results? If you really believe, if you really believe that God cares about you and that he can meet every, every one of your needs, if you spend some time talking with him, praying to him about all the stuff that's going on in your life, if you, if you spend some time being thankful for all that he's done for you, and if you set your mind on good God-honoring things, what can you expect to happen? Well, look at verse seven. You do those things, and the Bible says his peace God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Beloved, if you do these four things, I guarantee you the stress level in your life will come down. It'll be diminished. Guarantee it. Why can I guarantee that? I can guarantee it because that's what God's word says. If you'll do these four things, I guarantee you the stress level in your life will be diminished. Guarantee it. Look, there's no magic pill that will stop you from worrying. There's no seminar that you can go to that'll make you stop worrying. There, there's no book that you can read to help you stop worrying. There's no one spiritual experience that you can have that'll cause you not to worry anymore. Worry and the antidote to it is gonna be a daily choice. Sometimes it's a choice that you make hourly. Sometimes it's a choice that you might have to make minute by, by minute. In which you say, because I'm one of God's children, I really do believe that God cares about me. Because I'm one of God's children, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna to talk to him about the stuff that's going on in my life. Because I'm one of God's children, I'm gonna be thankful for all that he's done in my life. Because I'm one of God's children, I'm gonna set my mind on good, God-honoring stuff. Those are four steps that we see in our text today that I'm telling you will make a difference in your life. Paul said this in Romans chapter eight. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? Really, who? What are you worried about? You know, when you worry, Christian, you know what you're basically doing? You're living your life as if you were an atheist. Because atheists don't believe in God. They, they don't believe that there's a God out there that's all-powerful. They don't believe in a God that is all-knowing. They, they, they don't believe in any of that. So they only got one option, and that is they've got to go do it all. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have a God who cares deeply about us. And if he's for us, who in the world can be against us? Who? Why don't you close your eyes just for a quick second. And I don't know what you're going through. I, I, I don't. Maybe you're in a good spot right now, and if you are, praise the Lord. That's something to be thankful for, isn't it? But maybe you're here and you just got some stuff you're really worried about. We have a room called the altar room. There's one over in the, in the, the venue. If you're listening online, you can go to our website right now and there's a place called the altar where you can actually click on and give us your prayer request. But the altar room is a place where you could go and meet the spiritual leaders of the church, the pastors and the elders and, and let them pray with you. They all understand worry. <laughs> They understand stress. They, we've all been there. You're not going to walk into a room where guys are going to go, man, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I'll pray for you. We, 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 we've all been there. And we would love the opportunity to pray for you. Maybe you're here and you've got a child that isn't doing very well, or you've got a parent or a, you know, that's just gone sideways. I, I don't know what it is, but you could go into the altar room and we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're just so stressed over something that you, you can't even pray anymore. Let our elders be those four guys that carried their buddy to Jesus, remember, and they dug a hole in the roof and lowered him in. He couldn't get to Jesus by himself, and so his buddies had to take him. Let us believe for you. Let us, the spiritual leaders, let us pray for you. And I know that there are many of you that that's where you're at. It would be an honor to pray for you. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You could go into the altar room and say, I don't know the Lord, and we'd love to lead you into a relationship with Christ, give you your first Bible. Whatever your need is, take advantage of the altar room, okay?